Acts chapter 8. And we're going to read verses 26 through 39 and just read a beautiful story of the early church and an account of baptism. Acts chapter 8, verse 26 through 39. says this, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shears is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself? Or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, Lord, Father, thanks for this chance to get together and to worship you. Lord, thanks for your word. Lord, thanks for how you draw people to yourself. Lord, thanks for how you help us and guide us. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would just, this moment, just remove every distraction from our hearts and minds. That we would hear from you, that you would teach us, that you would encourage us from your word. And Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts will be acceptable to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. God does beautiful things. That's why he says in Psalm 27, he says to uh, behold the beauty of the Lord. And there are beautiful things. There are things that are just brilliantly beautiful. If you come out here in the evenings, and some of you do this uh, during the summer, and there are people in the, in the community that do this, they'll pull into our parking lot around sunset, and they will watch the sunset uh, uh, just happen out here because it's wide open, and there are just brilliant, beautiful sunsets. That's, that's a brilliant beauty. And then there are also some just some uh, just baser things that are beautiful. And someone took pictures once of a bunch of kitchen utensils and hundreds of pictures, put them all together. And then as you start looking at these ordinary things, it displayed this beautiful picture. God does beautiful things. He does them just brilliantly 
and then and just some base things. And when it comes to baptism, it is a beautiful thing that God has put together. He put together in a, in a brilliant way because of what it is, and just because in a base way, because it's just getting in water, going under, and coming out of it. But it is a beautiful thing. Baptism is a beautiful thing. But some people don't see the beauty of baptism. And there are things that I think that block people from seeing uh, baptism. And sometimes there's, you can go years and never hear anybody speaking about baptism or talking about baptism or why we do it. What is baptism? Just for a few minutes, that's what I want to do this morning. But what blocks people from seeing the beauty of what baptism is? One of the things that blocks people from seeing the beauty of baptism, I think, is they just don't understand it. it just, they're kind of ignorant about it. They don't, they don't really see the point. They don't really know it, uh, what it is. So they just don't understand why they should get baptized or why someone would get baptized. Some people don't see the beauty of baptism because they just don't see it as that urgent. And in a sense, even as Christians, they, they would say they're believers, but they haven't gotten baptized. They just don't see the urgency to it. They don't see the importance of it. And since it's almost not just ignorance, it's a little bit of laziness. The New Testament church in the New Testament would have no concept of a person who said he was a follower of Christ who had not been baptized. There's just no picture of that. And yet in our culture, that is many times very common. But, and it just blocks people from seeing the beauty of baptism. It's, they don't understand it. There's just no urgency. And then... The third reason why I think people don't see the beauty of baptism is there's just no desire for it. And the reason there's no desire for it is they aren't believers. They don't see why they would put themselves in that situation. Acts chapter 8 gives us just a picture, a beautiful picture of baptism. And just for this morning, it help us to see three things about baptism. Baptism is beautiful because it guides us. Baptism is beautiful because it guards us, and baptism is beautiful because it is a gift to us. Baptism is a beautiful thing because it is a guide to believers. Why do we do baptisms? If you don't know why you do it, you're going to easily get lost, and there's nothing worse than wanting to follow a certain, certain thing, get to a certain place, and not know how to, to get there. And God, in His grace, He has guided believers. And the way He has guided them is He's given us these steps, these, these ways to grow and follow Him. So why do we do baptism? We, we do baptism because Jesus was baptized. In Matthew chapter 3, it talks about Jesus, as, as Jerry read, Jesus was baptized. And so we follow and obey Jesus. So we baptize because Jesus was baptized and because Jesus commanded people to be baptized. In Matthew chapter 28, in the Great Commission, he says, Go into all the world and preach the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So the reason that we baptize is because Jesus was baptized and because Jesus commanded us to baptize People. It's this guide for us. Baptism is an act of obedience. It's something that Jesus commanded to be done. Go into a, and, and preach the gospel and baptize. It's, it's an act of obedience. It's a, in many ways the first step of obedience for a follower of Christ. It's a guide. It's obedience. It's also an acknowledgement of the way. In the early church, after Jesus left, the church, those who are followers of Christ, disciples of Christ, they weren't called Christians, they were called 
the followers of the way. And it wasn't until later on into Acts that they were first called Christians or little Christs because they were following, they were disciples of Christ. So baptism as a guide is commanded by Jesus. So we do it out of an act of obedience, but we also do it as a guide because this is what those who followed the way did. This is what those who followed Jesus did. The early church practiced baptism. This is what we see the early church doing all the way through. They, they did a believer's baptism. So it's an acknowledgement. This helps us know which, which, which is the way to go as a Christian. You, get, you follow Christ, you get baptized, and you rejoice in other people getting baptized because this is the pattern that the early church and Jesus Christ left us. It's a guide to us, and after it's an acknowledgement, and it's a guide to us because believer, it's for believers' baptism. It's baptism after we believe, and a person comes to believe. We don't practice infant baptism here because we believe that it is a baptism is for after a person can come to saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. As a guide, the Bible gives more helpful things sometimes than we realize. The way to come to Christ, as someone once said, is almost A, B, C, and D. A, we, we need to admit that we are sinners, that we have rejected God's way and tried to go our way. We need to believe that our sin then separates us from God for eternity. And without help outside of ourselves, we would be separated from God. And we need to believe that Jesus Christ came to earth, lived the life we could not live. He died on the cross, rose again so that we could have life. And then C, we need to consider there is a cost to becoming a Christian. It's not just this head knowledge of things that we believe or think or just a feeling. To becoming a Christian is to, to admit you're a sinner, to believe that Jesus Christ is the way and he can rescue you from your sins, but there's a cost to it. There's going to be a turning from your sin, and we need to consider, Jesus talked about considering the cost of what it means to be a disciple and follower of Christ. So we, it's admit, we believe, consider, and then D, do, which is turn in repentance and faith and trust in Jesus Christ. This is the gospel. This is the guide that baptism shows us. It is a guide to us. This is what this Ethiopian eunuch was looking for. And, and, and Philip was there to guide him. It's a beautiful thing when we follow the guide that God has given, given to us. Baptism is a, is a guide to us. It's also a, a guard to us. When the Ethiopian eunuch, he heard Philip teach him the gospel and went through all those things, through it with Scripture, he believed, he confessed his faith, and he said, what's stopping me from being baptized? And he was baptized. He went into the water. Baptism is a beautiful thing because it's a, it's a guard for us, because it's a confession of faith. When Philip met the Ethiopian eunuch, he was confused and struggling with the Scriptures. When Philip was done talking to him and he had confessed his faith in Jesus Christ, he was confident. And the way he demonstrated his confidence in what Jesus Christ had done for him was to say, what's stopping me from getting baptized? Baptize, baptism is a confession of faith, and it is also a challenge for faith. 
If you get baptized at our church and we baptize you, it is you saying, I am now a follower of Jesus Christ. And my life and the direction of my life, I want it to change. I don't want to live it my, the way I've always lived it in the past. I want, to wait, I want to live it the way that God wants me to live it. And I need it to guard it. And so I'm coming publicly before the church and saying, I'm now a confessing believer in Jesus Christ. And I want you to watch my life. And I want you to guard me. And I want you to help me. And I want you to say to me, remember your baptism when I start to stray. Because baptism is a guard for us. It's for us to remember what Christ has done for us, and it's a comfort to us in the faith as well. This is how it guards us. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 13 says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. It's very comforting to know you are a baptized believer in Jesus Christ. That there is no, it just breaks down all these walls. What we are with amongst each other are saved sinners who have been baptized together in one body. And that guards us and it helps us. So when you start to stray and another Christian comes up to you and says, Hey, wasn't it two years ago I watched you get baptized and you confessed your faith in Christ? And you said you wanted to follow him, and now you're talking about doing that, and now you're walking this way. Listen, let me just say to you, based on your baptism, I'm coming alongside you to love you and say, this is the way to go. Get back and be guarded in this. Baptism is a guide and it's a guard, but it's also just an amazing, beautiful gift. The Ethiopian eunuch, it says... He left, which, was, which is then and now modern-day Sudan. He left there to come and worship. Something was pulling him to go to Jerusalem and worship. And while he was there worshiping, he, he heard things, he saw things, and he was compelled to do things, but he didn't understand things. And so he's writing back reading the scroll, and he's struggling. He's stirred, but he's struggling. And everybody read out loud that way. So when Philip ran by and saw him, he heard what he was reading. And he sees that he's studying Scripture. He was studying the Bible, but he wasn't understanding the Bible. And then he sees Philip. Philip asks him the question. He gets in, and he's very straightforward. With Philip, and he tells him exactly where he's at, which is, I don't get it. There's something stirring him, there's something drawing him, but he doesn't get it. And baptism is a picture of God's pursuit. Because just in a few minutes, he's going to get it. And as smart and as talented, as this guy was, he was in charge of the queen's treasure. He could not figure it out on his own, and he wanted to. I mean, he, he left on a trip to find out. He's reading the Bible, and he couldn't figure it out. He needed somebody else to explain it to him. And in the moment when Philip did, the Holy Spirit woke him up, which it was the, I mean, it was this 
God was pursuing this man all the way through, and that's what baptism pictures for us. This is an amazing gift that God chose and chased after you first. In all your wisdom, and all your strength, and all your might, you would not have been able to see who Jesus was unless the Holy Spirit woke you up. And the picture of Jesus, of the gift, shows us it's a gift because it pictures Jesus and the power of his life and death. We baptize by immersion. Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch went into the water, and they came out of the water. And Romans chapter 6, verse 3 and 4 says this, Do you not know that all those who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Baptism is a gift because it pictures God's pursuit for you. It's a gift because it's a picture of the power of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It pictures that we now have been immersed into Jesus Christ. And if we've been immersed into Jesus' death and his resurrection, do you think that there is anything that God would allow in your life that he was not in control of, that he wouldn't help you through, that he wouldn't care for you through. It's an amazing gift. It's a picture for us, and it's a picture of the power of the gospel, how a life can be changed and how a life can be transformed. Colossians 2.12 says, having been buried, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him, through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. It's a gift to you, your baptism. Baptism is a gift to the church. It's an amazing picture. God always used objects to paint pictures. And he left two for the church, baptism and the Lord's Supper. And they're supposed to be reminders to us. They're beautiful gifts to us that ultimately demand a response. And this morning, the first response may be to you. Maybe you've never done the basics, A, B, C, Ds of the gospel. And maybe this morning you need to repent and turn your life completely over to Jesus Christ. But maybe you are a Christian, you've been baptized, but maybe you need to remember your baptism. What I mean by that is you look at your life, and you say, remember when I stood before the church and when I publicly declared my faith? Am I still being a true follower of Jesus Christ? Am I truly walking in the way? Or do I know that I've been taking detours? I've been getting off the guided trail? And maybe this morning you need to remember your baptism and say, and repent. Say, God, I want to get back. I want to stay. I want to stay in the path that you have for me. And baptism always calls for us to rejoice and to rejoice as we hear how God has done this in people's lives. That's the beauty of it. Hearing how God takes someone like this Ethiopian eunuch and transforms him in his struggle, in his confusion, how he comes to faith, and listening and hearing of other people's stories and seeing how God pursued them. And so right now, I'm just going to encourage you to come and remember your baptism And as you remember your baptism, I want you to just take the next few minutes and rejoice as you hear how God worked in Jason Vandeveld's life that led him to being baptized this morning. Jason.
Thank you, Paul, for having me up here to share my story and what's led me to this point and to being baptized today. Um, baptism is a physical public confirmation of what God's been doing in me internally uh, the last number of months. Um, and I hope what I share is an encouragement and also glorifies God. Uh, sharing my story doesn't come easy. I've always been a pretty private person, um, certainly not much for public speaking. Uh, perhaps some of you might be able to relate. Um, there are moments which mark your life, big defining moments, both good and bad, when you realize nothing will ever be the same. And like you, I've had my moments. Um, for me, some big ones were losing my mom at a young age and losing my dad some years later, getting married and the birth of our first and only child, Arabella. However, none were bigger or more consequential than when I was saved in March of this year. I thought I'd been a Christian for some 17 years up to that point, um, but if I'm being honest, I don't think that I ever really fully submitted to God. Um, sin, primarily my pride and stubborn independence, uh, probably were just too strong, and perhaps there were other feelings as well which drove a wedge between myself and him. Baptism symbolizes the period before and after, and the before you're dead in your sin, lonely and apart from the Creator God and eternally condemned. But in the after, after repenting for your sins and placing full trust in Jesus and grace of God, it produces an awakening that radically changes a person's life, and they're born again. Well, for me, in the before, I was a, I was a broken person um, through and through, and I reached a point of feeling exhausted and helpless and not knowing how to fix anything that was wrong with so many years of trying, just trying to will it myself. And you probably wouldn't see the inner turmoil in me if you casually knew me. We all conceal that side of ourselves, and I did it pretty well. I had unresolved and unprocessed grief and pain from the loss of both of my parents. I felt shame for how I had been at times in my life and for things I had done. I felt responsible for the recurring relationship issues with my wife, and I lacked any real identity and a deep sense of worthlessness. What I realized over the years was I could not fix these things. Nothing seemingly could. Not even the great love of a wife who prayed daily for me, who wanted so much for me to be better, um, that she would, when she couldn't, she would pray every day, but when even she grew weary, she'd ask others to pray. Um, not even innocent love, innocent and pure love of my daughter could fill the hole. Though I said I was Christian and I did believe, I thought I believed, I was not in the Word really ever, and I lacked much of the fruits of the Spirit, uh, fruit of the Spirit, Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and also to include mercy, grace, and forgiveness as well. That was the before. Uh, the road to salvation occurs differently for people. Some grow up taught to know the need for Jesus and come to accept him in their adolescence. Others may come to know him in life after a major event or a series of events. And for still others, they seek him when they truly don't know anywhere else to turn and are finally willing to surrender or in a moment of sheer desperation. For me, it was like I needed to be broken and humbled. I needed that to fully lay down my pride, see my sin, let go of any notion that I could fix myself alone. I feel like the Lord let me go to that. Um, and when I decided to turn to him, he was waiting. My ultimately being saved and coming to know Jesus occurred uh, March 20th. It happened through what was purely the power of the Holy Spirit working in me. That's the only way I can explain it. 
And it occurred after I was completely humbled in a full realization that I was separated from God by my sin. I needed to repent, and only Jesus could save me. It was a singular moment in which I knew God was speaking to me as I was praying. The road of this moment started with advice from a pastor, counselor, Troy, uh, I had been speaking with, who knew I was not in a good place and was meeting with me to provide biblical counseling. He advised me to humbly approach God, to ask serious, genuine questions about my life. He explained that if a child comes to his or her father with genuine, serious life questions, a good father will not let the, answers, the questions go unanswered. He explained that God answers us and he fulfills his promises to us. He laid out many of those promises. The talks with the pastor counselor also coincided with my wife temporarily kicking me out of the house, which was a true low point. And I went to my father-in-law's for a few days where I spent the evenings praying and asking God to intervene, spending much of the time in silence with him. The day I came back home was March 20th, our daughter's birthday, and is the day when I was praying and had the power of the Holy Spirit come over me. I repented and I was emotional. I literally told the devil that he is no longer welcome, that he could pack his bags and go, and the only, only the Holy Spirit is welcome here. The feeling was amazing, as I felt like I could go, I could let all this stuff go, and completely let God lead, I could rest in him, and there was freedom in him. I felt totally transformed, forgiven, loved by the Father, and had a hope and a way forward, even if I had no idea how that would go. I would take that step by step every day. I finally saw that, uh, saw that obedience flows out of our love for the Father and what he did for us by sending his Son. It was a powerful, renewing, cleansing feeling. In the weeks that followed, I had so many encouraging things happen, those coincidental type things that just seemed providential. I mean, they were one after another, after another, after another things that confirmed what God was doing. Now I'm in the word regularly. I want to know his truths, to share the gospel with others and show others the love of Christ. And I'll end with uh, one of those things that happened uh, in the weeks that followed as it was particularly encouraging. Uh, when I was 16 or so, I worked in a retirement home with a young woman named Bonnie Bennett. She was a couple years older than me and I remembered her as a wholesome, pure of heart uh, person, just the nicest person. And she would talked to me about the gospel on break time. And I was not receptive at the time. In fact, I was quite the opposite. Uh, I would try to debate her, prove her wrong, um, just argumentative. She always responded in kindness, and I always remembered that. When the time came for her to go to college, before she left, she gave me a Bible and a letter telling me she, had, she enjoyed our conversations, and more importantly, that she would be... Uh, she would, would be, and she was, and would continue to pray for me that I'd one day find the love of God and come to know the grace that He offers. And as we joked, the letter, uh, as we often joked, the letter says she could contact her to contact her in 20 years or so and see how she was doing. Well, it was uh, early May now, um, and my sister called me uh, one morning, saying that there was a minor amount of money connected to our dad's estate, but she needed a death certificate to to get it and I had the certificate. So I went looking through the boxes in my garage that, that had my dad's personal effects. And as I'm looking through the box, I found a folded up piece of notebook paper. And this is that paper. I opened it and I was basically speechless. It was the letter from Bonnie Bennett. 
on this date of July 30th, 1998, 24 years ago, a little after the 20 years she said to contact her. Uh, I won't read the first part of it because it's just inside jokes about work and stuff. I'll read the last part. It says, on a more serious note, I'm giving you this. It's a Bible. I'm not expecting you to immediately read it. Maybe you will. I don't know. But I'm giving it to you. Maybe someday you'll pick it up, remember me, and read a little. And I pray that you will <clears throat> begin to sense the love of, and grace that God offers you. On that, excuse me. <clears throat> on that day when you do, start in the book of John. I've marked it for you. It's a relatively short book and shows the life of Christ. John 3.16, for God so loved the world, that's you, that he gave his only son, that's Christ, to die on the cross and take all your sins away so that whoever believes in him will not perish or go to hell, but have eternal life, which is heaven. Jason, I've been praying for you for a long time, and I'll still continue to. You're an awesome person. Glad I've gotten to know you. Remember that in 20 or so odd years, you're supposed to look me up and tell me how you're doing. Ha ha. Actually, if you ever want to talk, I'm here. She included her contact information uh, at the bottom of this letter, but it's outdated. Email doesn't, didn't even exist. So I did try the email. It didn't work, and I had an idea to try the email front part of it and just try it at the gmail account.com uh, so I sent a message and it came back and it was her <laughs> and yeah she remembered uh, when I emailed her I said uh, I emailed her back and I said Bonnie what you prayed for in that letter well, that prayer was just answered like a month ago. And I came to finally know, I finally came to know the love of Jesus. She was wowed by the news and very happy for me and my family. And she quoted back in an email, 1 Corinthians 3, 6, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. And we often pray for people's salvation and plant that seed, but usually the person who plants the seed never finds out what happens. Felt amazing to be able to tell her what had happened after all those years, and it provided great encouragement to her, and I hope it does to you. I tell that story, and it's pretty encouraging and amazing. And I'm sure she, I'm sure she kept praying after she left the forum, forum for some time, the place where we worked. But at some point, she probably stopped. Uh, what's more amazing, and I said, I said it earlier, is that my wife stuck by me by my side all those years and literally was praying every day and had others do it when she couldn't, when she was too weary. September 2nd is our 15-year wedding anniversary, and she stuck by praying that whole time, which is a gift from God. Thank you for listening to my testimony. Praise God.